Awaken Beauties, finally, it's here. The truth to empower women to true inner beauty through a healthy mind and inner biology. I am your hostess, Cassandra Keel, a 20-year salon owner, organic beauty product formulator, positive mind management, and clinical hypnotherapist. And I am here to help you stay sane, get sleep, and bring your sexy back. Sponsored by evokebeauty.com. E-V-O-Q-Beauty.com. Now, let's get to it. All right, welcome to the Awaken Beauty Podcast. So today I am bringing back the beautiful and bright Dr. Felice Gersh, who is just a wealth of knowledge where we're going to be discussing the overall mental health. We're going to be talking about ADHD and the link to hormones and how they impact our brain, our mood, and our overall well-being. Now, make sure you watch our first episode where Dr. Gersh did an incredible job of weaving together what we know about the endocannabinoid system and how it relates to aging. And I will go ahead and create the show notes and tap that into the bottom of uh, today's podcast. You can tap into that. But, you know, as a woman who masked my ADHD until midlife through an unfair advantage of having a background in functional medicine and self-healing with the right lab work and supplements, living my dream job as a serial entrepreneur, which I could easily hide all my squirrels, and being a clinical hypnotherapist, which also allowed me to access some of that trauma and really uprooting so that we can really be clear and focused. It also comes with its challenges. So stay till the end because we will be breaking open the nuances of mental health and how it relates to the symphony, specifically to women's hormones and so much more. And it's, it's a very, very near and dear to my heart topic because we have four times more women, adult women by that, being diagnosed with ADHD than we have children today. So it obviously goes deeper with, the, uh, with answers more than ever needed now, especially considering also those with ADHD already have a 50 to 60% increase of anxiety and depression. And that one in four ADHD women will attempt or think about attempting suicide in their lifetime compared to a neurotypical. So the medical model leans towards pharmaceuticals versus looking at a really holistic uh, psychiatry point of view. So we completely bypass promoting the time to really dial in our emotional, our hormonal, environmental, trauma, and physical well-being. So here's a quote from today's guest, Dr. Felice Gersh. Once a female hits puberty, we put her on birth control. And once she goes into menopause, she gets put on an SSRI. And after that, if you're really not doing great, then we'll just remove your female organs. Now to sum it up, it's a personal mission of mine, and I'm sure it is also of Dr. Gersh's and bringing new integrative approaches. So we can really share it with you and also other medical professionals, coaches, and therapists. So our guest covers all of the areas of women's health. Now, Dr. Gersh is renowned for her expertise in hormonal management of women, with a unique specialization in PCOS, which affects one in 10 women. She also approaches the female aging process in a holistic manner, comprehensively addressing the negative impact of sleep disturbances, pharmaceuticals, environmental toxins, nutrient and hormonal deficiencies, gut microbiome imbalances, and of course, chronic stress. So with that said, welcome back, Dr. Felice. I'm so happy you could join us today. I have so much that we want to dig into today. So, um, you know, we first talked about the endocannabinoid system, which certainly applies here. Um, but I just kind of wanted to dial in and maybe you can just give us a little bit of a brief on why mental health and hormonal regulation and all of that, what that means to you. 
Well, we know that women suffer significantly more, and you sort of touched on this, significantly more cases of anxiety and depression. And it's so poorly diagnosed and treated. And women have, because of this, they have often such low self-esteem and it really affects everything in their lives. I mean, often they will become abused. You know, they just accept it. And, you know, we've seen evidence of that in the news where women who obviously have everything going for them and yet they'll allow themselves to be abused because their self-esteem is low. They question themselves. And all of this is part of having quality of life, which essentially means you have to have a quality of cognitive function, mood, and so on. It's essential. So what can you say? How can you have a high quality optimized life if you don't have exceptionally high quality of mental health? Yeah, I I really love where you went there as far as the over-encompassing also about the self-esteem. And I find that specifically for women, as I really started to dial in, you know, my history, even with hypnotherapy and things of that nature, I'm being able to really assess both my client base and the background and those that I now know have ADHD. And I've discussed this with, um, you know, so many women are underserved in, I believe, the medical system, but also uh, we tend to put our head down, um, are piled with guilt and shame and that something's wrong with us. And so we push harder we work harder and there are tons of very, very successful women that quote unquote have ADHD and mm-hmm. we figured out how to make it work for us. But unfortunately, we probably work 10 times harder than a neurotypical. Um, you know, there's so much encompassing here, but I wanted to get your opinion just on this whole aspect around nature versus nurture, genetic versus epigenetic. Um of what are your thoughts there as far as you know are they both and um or what are your beliefs around that well we know for example with adhd there is a very high genetic propensity that in fact that's like should be clue number one when you look at an individual patient like what is their family history for adhd and of course since their moms may have been misdiagnosed too or not diagnosed at all, then you've got to think, well, what kind of symptoms did they display? Because there is a very high correlation genetically. But yes, there is definitely clear-cut evidence that hormones matter in, in everything and definitely in mental health and cognitive function and ADHD. And you touched on so many of the things that, you know, I've totally agree with is that women, when you look at ADHD, they have learned how to compensate. And yes, they do it at great expense to their personal lives and in all kinds of ways. And they, so they get, they get misdiagnosed. They don't get diagnosed at all because they can do quite well and they manifest differently than males. I mean, and that's where the the hormonal issues come in because we know the genetics are one thing, but how things manifest are related to hormones. And for sure, there's a huge hormonal component to ADHD in women, which is why it can have quite a difference in terms of the symptomatology and women manage to just deal with it and live with it. But like I said, they pay a heavy price for that. Yeah, so true. And so I really, I really want to spend the time with you today to really kind of open up the piece around specifically uh, mental health, which encompasses, you know, when I say mental health, what I really want to um, invite the audience into is we're really talking about, I mean, mental health is a full spectrum situational around ADHD, autism, anxiety, depression. We're really talking about the bioregulation within the body, the mind biome, or we're going to kind of dig into this, but I just kind of wanted to preface that um, I think you and I and our friend, Dr. James Greenblatt, we really look at this bio cycle and social approach where we look at the genetics, the epigenetics, the neurological, the nutritional, um, all of these different aspects. So first and foremost, we agree that, you know, there are lifestyle, there are components such as trauma and um, nutritional deficiencies 
but let's kind of open up just this, this beautiful array of knowledge that you have around mental health, ADHD, and the hormonal um, pathway. So I wanted to talk a little bit about, first and foremost, how uh, estrogen, to your point, especially as we're, as we're aging and we can kind of look at the puberty, then going through midlife into menopause, on how estrogen fluctuates and how that impacts um, ADHD and mental health. Well, it certainly, I would say the fact that it has been so neglected is really egregious, that the role of estrogen in the female brain is so enormous. Well, first of all, it's important to just grasp this really critical concept that reproduction and all of metabolic health, which incorporates everything because metabolism is the creation, distribution, utilization, and you know, just storage of energy. And we know that the most important energy um, users of the body, number one, the brain, number two, the heart, but of course, every organ needs energy. And we know that everything is electrical, everything needs energy. You can do an EEG, EKG. We know we're electrical and that requires energy to run all of these cells. Well, it turns out that reproduction and all of these metabolic functions are completely intertwined with good reason because nature doesn't want a female who is unstable cognitively, emotionally, cardiovascular system, pick any organ system and also be highly fertile because how is she going to be successful in getting through the really, what is a stress test of pregnancy from a physiologic point of view, and then be healthy enough to be able to nurse and support a baby into childhood, ultimately into sexual maturity, and then do that multiple times over. So estrogen, I view as sort of the super glue that links every function in the body together, the metabolic, which includes everything, and the reproduction. So we know that these are not separate disparate systems, they're all connected. And estrogen has receptors everywhere on every organ system. So throughout the brain, in every piece of the brain, in the, the neurons, the immune system, the specialized immune system of the brain with the microglia, the astrocytes, the blood-brain barrier, the entire vascular system that supports the brain. And like I said, all of the neurons of the brain. In fact, there are specific neurons, the serotonin neurons, that of course make the neurotransmitter serotonin, which is what of course people are given SSRIs to try to increase. So there are these serotonin neurons that depend on estrogen in the brain for their functionality in order to be doing their job properly. Well, when you don't have enough estrogen produced by the ovaries, or you have endocrine disruptors, these ubiquitous toxins that interfere with hormone production, delivery systems, receptor function, elimination, all of these functions, they're endocrine disruptors, and many of them are what we call xenoestrogens. They deal specifically with everything related to estrogen. So if you don't have enough produced by your ovaries, which of course is what happens in menopause universally for every woman and menopause is a transition. It's not like you cross a finish line. It's a process of ovarian aging. Or if you get too many of these xenoestrogens into your body, which interfere with the function of estrogen in the brain, or sometimes you take a pharmaceutical like oral contraceptives, for example, which technically are endocrine disruptors. If you go to toxicology.gov, which is a division of the National Institutes of Health, you can see it on the internet. It lists every ingredient in an oral contraceptive or you know, vaginal, you know, the, 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 we'll call them the comparables for oral contraceptives. They're all officially endocrine disruptors. Well, all of these are going to have a big impact on the brain in a whole myriad of ways because there are receptors throughout the brain. In the hypothalamus, in, in the, the amygdala, which is so much about you know, spontaneous emotion, in the hippocampus, in, a, in terms of the cortex of the brain, and the entire autonomic nervous system involving the vagus nerve, the sympathetic ganglion that all regulate the stress response, all of this is related to estrogen. It's like magnificent. <laughs> and it's, and it's, you know, 
diversity of functions throughout the neurological system and so under-recognized. And it's so critical that women have proper hormones throughout every stage of life for optimal health. In fact, there's interesting new research talking about eating foods that are phytoestrogens to help maintain um, mood, to help maintain cognition, gut health, all this, because it's working you know, on estrogen receptors, but they're, they're plants. So we know that estrogen is critical. We meaning just a few of us, unfortunately, and now all of you know that estrogen is not optional for every aspect of neurological health. And I mentioned the serotonin neurons. Well, there are also specialized neurons that make acetylcholine, which is what secures memories. And that requires estrogen as well. So you just can't get by and have a healthy functioning neurological system as a female in an estrogen deficient state or an estrogen um, endocrine disruptor, um, you know, oversaturated state. And it's really important, like the differences between males and females, the brain itself, like many organs in the body, can make estrogen. That's how beloved estrogen is. And that's how men get estrogen. Estrogen should be really the favorite hormone of men too. They don't know this because many times their testosterone is converted into estradiol in many organs. We call that paracrine. It's a hormone production for local utilization. It's not circulating. And the brain is one of those organs that can make estradiol, not a different form of estrogen, but estradiol, which is the same estrogen made by the ovaries. And women during the reproductive years, um, it's very dramatic, the difference in their production. Men make six to eight times as much estradiol in their brains as do women. But during the reproductive years, if women are having proper hormonal function from their ovaries, it doesn't matter because women get so much estradiol from their circulation made in the ovaries. But after menopause and during the transition as well, when hormone levels are becoming fluctuating and sort of and going down and jumping up, but still the downward trend is always there, their brains don't have enough precursor because they don't have like the amount of testosterone that a male has to convert because all estrogen comes from androgens. All estradiol comes from testosterone. Well, women don't have a lot of testosterone in their bodies to convert. So basically after menopause and during the transition, their brains are truly estrogen deficient. And there's a big price to pay for that. And you know, we wanna be politically correct. We don't wanna make it sound like all women are going to be demented when they go through menopause, but we do know, and we have to be honest because we'll never solve a problem if we don't honestly discuss it. Women have almost three times the incidence of Alzheimer's disease as do males. After menopause, women have doubled their own risk of developing anxiety and depression, doubled from what it was previously, and it's already doubled what men are. And women who previously had problems with anxiety and depression, their risk goes up 400%. So we have to define the problem. If you don't define a problem, you're never going to find a solution. So we need to be honest about what nature dished out to us, and then we can solve it. And there are many avenues, and we have to use every tool that we can come up with or from our therapeutic toolbox so that we can have healthy longevity, so that we can lead quality lives for you know, many, many years to come through all the decades. Oh my gosh, that is, um, everybody that's listening, just go ahead and rewind and just play that segment over and over and over again. And it explains, it's explained so much about um, how the hormones really are the differential, a large player of the differentiating experience for men and women with mental health and or ADHD. And, you know, the, just how, I mean, in, to your point, you know, a 400% increase of all of these comorbidities um, is a pretty large increase. And so one of the pieces here that I wanted to 
Um, first and foremost, asked you is as far as the phytoestrogens, you know, we hear a lot about soy and mm -hmm. how it's not so good. Now there are healthy types of soy. Can you give our guests just a, a couple notes on what kind of phytoestrogens are safe for women to, um, to eat, to increase their um, precursors for estrogen? Well, it's so relevant right now because just in the last month, there was an excellent study that got published um, by Dr. Bernard that looked at giving organic whole soy, like a, I think it was a cup a day, and they gave it to women who had very significant night sweats and hot flashes. Now, it's not just, oh, well, you feel wet, you know, you got to change your clothes. We now know that when people have when women have such symptoms, it's really a sign of neuroinflammation involving their thermoregulatory systems in their brain. So it's like, like so many things, it's a symptom that we want to treat, but it's also a sign of underlying issues. In this case, inflammation in the special part of the hypothalamus that regulates temperature in the female body. So that's a very big deal. We now that know that hot flashes, night sweats are associated with higher risk of many things, including having heart attacks and strokes, because it's a sign of inflammation of the female body and it's manifesting in that brain effect. So what they did in the study, and it went for like 12 weeks, they gave a cup of the phytoestrogen, they chose soy, and they found that at the end of 12 weeks, close to around 90% of the women had about close to 100% of resolution of these symptoms. So it's the miracle of food that, you know, it's a wonder, like how is it that nature was so wise and so brilliant to provide food on our planet that can actually help to substitute for a deficiency like, like estrogen. And so there are other foods, many foods that we don't even recognize as phytoestrogens can have effects when you get down to their polyphenols. So though I call that the magic sauce of, of fruits and vegetables that have a whole myriad of effects in the, in the body. But the other thing that's interesting about the polyphenols is that if you don't have the right gut microbiome, we now know that they may not be broken down into their essential component and then have the optimal effect. And that's been one of the issues with soy is, and, the, and the phytoestrogens in soy is that in order to finalize their effect in the body, they do need the right microbiome to turn them into a, another product called Equal. And that actually has the effect. Well, it turns out that pomegranates and many of the foods that we think of as superfoods actually can function as phytoestrogens. And pomegranates is one of those. The uh, polyphenol, then the breakdown from the poly, like agesic acid, and then it breaks down into urolithins, like urolithin A, which has tremendous benefits um, throughout the body. But now we know binds to estrogen receptors. Uh, flaxseed, of course, has always been quite famous. And I definitely recommend eating a couple of tablespoons of flaxseed every day. When you eat soy, I mean, I, I look at soy in the same way I look at estrogen. There have been what I call the evil twins out there. So like with like estrogen from the ovary is estradiol, which has a balanced effect on the three different estrogen receptors and the body balances everything out and everything works perfectly when you have the right amount of estradiol. When you put in other estrogens that have only binding to one, one of the receptors, it imbalances the whole system. And then you can end up with negative effects. Like if you take birth control pills, then in the body, it turns into estrone and estrone only binds to, or predominantly to the alpha receptor for estrogen. And the alpha receptor is very important. You want to have alpha receptor functioning, but the alpha receptor, for example, is the main one on the innate immune cells, the immune cells that are the first line of defense when a pathogen tries to get in our body, like a virus or a bacteria, or you have trauma, you have injury, you have dead tissue in some fashion or dying cells, then you want to have these innate immune cells come to the rescue to attack the invader, to dissolve damaged tissue and then gobble it up. Well, when you have only alpha, 
that's what's on those cells, they become upregulated. So you go into a pro-inflammatory state. The estrogen that's made in fat tissue in postmenopausal women also is estrone. And that's one of the reasons, and there's more, why women in the menopause become pro-inflammatory, including in their brains. As that's one of the things that happens that causes the night sweats and hot flashes. So, and then we call that inflammaging, right? When you have inflammation with aging, but that is really, we should change it because it's really inflammation from lack of adequate amounts of the proper estrogen estradiol. So all of this is like really so interesting that we need to understand that when we eat certain foods, they actually combine to different estrogen receptors. Now, the dominant estrogen receptor in the intestinal tract happens to be the beta receptor. Okay. And so it turns out that soy is predominantly, but not exclusively, a beta receptor agonist. So it binds to that. Now, it turns out that breast cancer is predominantly, almost exclusively alpha, which is another problem of the evil twin, you know, where you have like the wrong estrogen and it creates a problem effect. For example, you know, it, it can create a stimulation to breast cancer, not because it's evil, just because it has. The, the receptors are doing what they're programmed to do. Well, if you take the evil twin of soy, the processed version, version which is no good, it's not healthy, it's you know chemical, it's GMO, then you're not gonna get the same effects as whole organic soy. So I call it the evil twin effect, you know, poor estradiol, the, the natural, human estrogen made by the ovary has been maligned viciously because of ill effects from other estrogens that are not the same. They're really quite different, but they go under the heading of estrogen. And the same thing with soy, you know, you take this processed garbage and then you call it soy because, well, technically it is, but it's like adulterated soy. And then you say, well, the, those effects are applied to the whole organic soy. So poor soy. And actually whole organic soy is actually a fertility food, not surprisingly, because it does help to balance out the hormones in women who have irregular cycles or have infertility. So um, soy is a good food. If you don't like it, you know, I don't force people to eat things that they don't like. But one thing about tofu, it's kind of like a chameleon, it'll take on the flavor of anything you put with it. So there's always some kind of a recipe that you can find that you can enjoy and then get the health benefits. And I think for women who are transitioning into menopause, we need to do everything we can to keep our, our gut health. Talk about guts, you know, when you take soy or any foods that are helping to establish and maintain a healthy gut, that should be high on your priority list. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Love it. So um, phytoestrogens, absolutely. You know, and there's also research that links back to OPCs. And, um, you know, these are also like your grapefruit extract and your blueberries and things of that nature, the polyphenols and the antioxidants and whatnot have also been traced back to, um, you know, a lot of research even going to its effects compared to, um, doing certain kind of neurofeedback and brain frequency, which is really fascinating to me is that if we can nutritionally intake some of, you know, from phytoestrogens, these polyphenols on how that significantly had equal um, comparison to individuals that were doing neurofeedback long-term on the brain frequency, which is, it just, it absolutely makes sense because back to your point, um, you know, everything is electrical and hormones are a messaging system. It's an electrical messaging system in the rest of the body. Um, so I really love that. I think you would agree omega fatty acids are also oh. supplied to be able to make and produce and reproduce, um, you know, obviously blood brain barrier and fatty, beautiful lipids. So our cells can communicate so that they are protected and also to be able to create that downstream and upstream of estrogen as well. Oh, absolutely. The more we learn about the body, the more I'm in awe of it. And I'm glad you brought up fatty acids. So our bodies are so complex and we have these 
dual but different uh, signaling systems in the body. So one is based on amino acids like peptides. So there are short chains of amino acids that can create all kinds of signaling issues. For example, like oxytocin, vasopressin. So they sort of on the borderline, some of these between hormones and um, peptides, you know, it's a, like a, how long a chain of amino acids is it, it? And then you have the fatty acids, which we now know the omega-3s, the omega-6s, and then they can convert into other products, like for example, the endocannabinoids. And there's a whole slew of the um, specific pro-resolving mediators, SPMs. And so we have this beautifully like yin-yang in the body, that has like a pro-inflammatory and an anti-inflammatory pro-resolution that involves the, the, these really critical fatty acids, which many people are really imbalanced in and they don't have enough of the omega-3 and then they can get stuck more in the pro-inflammatory. But omega-6 isn't pro-inflammatory. I always want people to know that, that they, you can have one of the one of the types of products that come from omega sixes are the prostaglandins, but prostaglandins can be pro or anti-inflammatory. The body knows how to do this, but when you have very poor diets and poor lifestyle, everything sort of pushes. I call it the default system, which is pro-inflammatory. When you have an imbalance of hormones or chronic stress, you end up in that sort of default system, which is pro-inflammatory. And once you're in that system, every system in your body is going to go awry, including the neurological systems and the brain. That's why mind-body medicine is really critical. You can actually modulate the autonomic nervous system through your own brain function. It's like this amazing situation of bi-directional everything. So it's really the whole body is so amazing and it's very complex. So we have to almost take it in little sound bites because it can be overwhelming how complex it is. But when you understand that hormones, like you mentioned, they're messengers delivering information. So I call it the language of the body and there are multiple languages, but you know, this is like really fundamental is the hormone system for delivering information to the cells. So it's like, if you don't have the right hormones and estrogen of course is a key one, but all hormones are essential, then basically the, the, cells don't know what to do. And they're going to, when they don't know what to do, they go into this default, which is pro-inflammatory. It's like, I think of it like a bunch of teenagers. You put a bunch of teenagers together and there's no one telling them what to do. <laughs> no, they just, they're just there and they have no one giving them any instructions. They're just together. You know, mostly they're going to get into trouble. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, you got to tell yourselves what to do, when to do it. And that's where the whole circadian rhythm comes in as well, which is really critical for brain health. We know that people who go to bed at the wrong time, they sleep at the wrong time, they eat at the wrong time, they have very high rates of emotional problems, really high rates of anxiety and depression. So we have to do everything at the time. We have to understand that our bodies are timed and it turns out that our my best friend, the hormone estradiol, the est I'm gonna say estradiol, but I can interchange it with estrogen. You'll know I'm talking about estradiol, that it has receptors, key receptors on the master clock, which is a group of neurons called the suprachiasmatic nucleus that sits atop the optic nerve and has receptors that come from the retina of the eye to detect light. It also has sensitivity receptors for nutrient status. So it knows when you've eaten and when you've not eaten. And that's why when you eat, the time that you eat can also help to set your clocks in your body. So you don't want, for example, your brain thinking that you're in London while your stomach you know, thinks you're in Los Angeles. <laughs> so you've got to have all your organs working in the same time zone at the same time. And women after menopause and people who live a jet lag type of life, whether it's socially induced or job induced, whatever the reason, basically they are going to have a lot of emotional and cognitive problems. So um, talk about brain fog if you're constantly jumping across time zones. Well, that's what happens naturally when women go into menopause. So it's no wonder that many women 
as they are getting into menopause, they say, oh, I'm like a night owl, you know, like I feel best at 10 o'clock at night and then I get really hungry. Oh my goodness, that is a giant red flag that you have circadian rhythm dysfunction and we got to work on that because then you're going to, of course, gain weight. You're going to lose self-esteem. You're going to be tired. You're going to be moody. So got to work on that. So let's just kind of hold there for a second on sleep because there's, there's, um, there's a couple of things here. So specifically with ADHD, and I've studied this a lot as far as the delayed circadia, as far as typically people with ADHD are kind of night owls. They, they systemically have uh, a later um, circadian rhythm. Now, I believe that many people suffer from insomnia, sleep issues based on environmental, blue lights, all of this. Um, but going into kind of putting a little bit of salt on the wound, can you tap into a little bit about just the science with the, um, the microglia and how, you know, whether it's ADHD or neuroinflammation or age degeneration on how the microglia affects the tissue in the brain and how important healthy sleep is and how it affects Alzheimer's, ADHD, mental health, et cetera. Yes, yeah, so we have this unique, um, we'll say immune system of the brain. The key cells are modified macrophages. So macrophages are the cells of the immune system that are the gobblers. So they are, um, they put out certain types of dissolving enzymes that can dissolve damaged tissue or in invading pathogens like bacteria and viruses. So they put out, let's think of it as Drano. I think of it as our own analogy. Drano that, you know, like you're taking out a clogged drain, but you're, you're taking out something in the brain in terms of when it's microglia elsewhere in the body, they're called macrophages. And interestingly in the bone, they're called osteoclasts. So these are modified macrophages that exist in different places in the body as well as circulating. And in the brain, the microglia, they should stay normally in a surveillance sort of state. So they're surveilling, they're just watching, they're, they're not sleeping, they're just quietly watching everything and keeping track of everything. In order for that to happen, you need to have a calm, non-inflamed brain. You need to have adequate everything. Now we know you need to have the right amount of thyroid and cortisol and estradiol and progesterone because progesterone is also neuroprotective. So you need the right balance of hormones. You also need the right balance of nutrients. You got to have a brain that is not in a chronic state of inflammation or neuroinflammation, and it's watching out for any kind of injury to the brain, like brain trauma, or if something tries to get in through the blood-brain barrier, you know, a virus like COVID or any other virus or bacteria. So that's its natural state. But when you have trauma or when you have an infection or when you have dysregulation because of underlying nutrients, nutrient deficiencies, hormonal imbalances, then you have a state of activated microglia. And because they're responding to some kind of a trauma or you know, infection, but it even gets worse though, because in women who don't have enough estradiol, it turns out, like I mentioned, that the innate immune cells of the body, these are the first responders, they have the estrogen receptors. Well, the microglia are no different. So they also have estrogen receptors. So when you don't have enough estrogen, everything goes into this default state of like pro-inflammatory. So the microglia in the brain of women who have hormonal imbalances, endocrine disruptors, it doesn't just have to be menopause. There are other ways that you can have hormonal imbalances. The microglia, they transform into their second state. So they're either in the surveilling state or the activated state. The activated state, they look like amoeba. You know, you know what amoeba, they like look like they'll swarm and they'll dissolve things. That's when they start putting out their innate Drano and they start dissolving. And remember, they're supposed to dissolve appropriately, like damaged tissue, gobble it up and then put in fresh tissue, like healing. That's the process of healing, right? But now you have microglia that are like weapons of mass destruction without control. And so they put out their 
endogenous Dureno type products and they're dissolving healthy tissue now. And the brain is like, oh my God, what is happening? And that's one of the things that we now know. That's why trying to resolve the amyloid beta plaque um, is not the solution for Alzheimer's because that's the body's response to these overstimulated, overactivated, out of control microglia going on a rampage in the brain and dissolving healthy neurons. And then the brain just lays down this this plaque stuff, the amyloid, which is the body's, it's like scarring. It's like the body's ability to try to heal, but of course it just can't because the microglia are still on a rampage. So that's really, and then if you think of that in, in Alzheimer's, that's like the ultimate extreme. But if you take it down many notches, you can have mild, remember spectrum, everything that like we talk on the spectrum, you can have very mild versions of that, really mild, that can then put people into a state of neuroinflammation where their brains are always struggling to heal and try to get these microglia, you know, these amazing attack animals, but to keep them under control, it's like, come on, it's like the pit bull gone wild here. So, you know, they are saviors to us and and in every which way, how could we live without our immune system? But you can almost think of it a little bit like when they talk about with COVID, like a cytokine storm, it's like inflammation that's just raging out of control. And that can happen in people's brain. And so depending on the location of the brain, because different parts of the brain do different things, um, you can end up with a predominance of a mood disorder or a cognitive disorder. And now we know they virtually always go together. So like, for example, with ADHD, we know we call them, like you said, the comorbidities. So women, and they're they're often treated only for the comorbidities, not for the other underlying issues of the more cognitive nature, um, which is the ADHD part, because we have one brain, but it can manifest in with different problems in different ways. And ADHD in women tends to be because women do have different brains than men. I mean, we know that we have similar parts, but we, we have different immune systems, the female immune system is much more robust than the male. So when women develop inflammation, we really do it big time. So that's why women make up 80% of autoimmune disease. When our immune systems go a little bit wacky, it goes extra wacky. And so we have very robust, of course, that helps us in many ways. I mean, women are programmed to have more robust immune system so that women who are the baby makers of the species, it's more important if there is like a pandemic of some kind that females survive because they're the ones having babies and nursing them and raising them than the males. So we hate to say this, but testosterone is actually an immunosuppressant because it quiets down the immune system because it takes a tremendous amount of energy to run the immune system. And men put more of their energy into making a lot of sperm and keeping their bigger bodies going. And women don't do that we don't make like eggs continuously. So we put a lot of our energies into our immune system so that they will work better. Women survive sepsis better with, during the premenopausal years are more likely to survive pandemics, epidemics and so on because of our immune systems. But the flip side is that when it goes haywire, it goes haywire on a grander scale. So we women, you never have just one thing that, I mean, that's really important. It's not like ADHD is going to have comorbidities, anxiety commonly and depression commonly, but also sleep problems and, you know, self-esteem problems, sexual problems, you know, because so many things go together in one brain. And, and the same thing actually with Alzheimer's patients, you never find an Alzheimer's patient that doesn't have mood disorders and sleep yeah, problems. It's like, like so it's all together. There's so many crossovers here, you know, so I wanted to bring up Alzheimer's because again, it, it's, it goes back to this beautiful piece around estrogen and helping us to really create that production of the acetylcholine, which really cements that creating that healthy cognition and memory recall and all of that. And how we linked it back to the sleep issue with the delayed circadian is that we really have to be proactive, especially if we are experiencing anxiety, depression, diagnosed or undiagnosed with ADHD, autism, neurodiversity in general, 
because you know the odds are kind of already stacked against us. And so I just kind of wanted to bring that up because I think it's really, right. really important to focus on the lifestyle, but then to understand behind the lifestyle to really connect to the science. And I think neuroinflammation and inflammation in the body, as we know, is kind of the epidemic of, of all time. Um, obviously, if we produce 90% of our neurotransmitters in our gut, which also links to inflammatory leaky gut um, in that situation mm -hmm. as well. And I read in a really, really interesting um, study lately about um, how the odds are stacked against children and how, you know, based on GMO and all of this onslaught of toxicity in our environment, our soil depletion pretty much has set up a situation where we have that, I think it's called the shikimate pathway, right? I'm sure you know this and the enzymes. Yeah. And we now have these generations that are being born into this world um, in utero, they don't have sufficient amino acids from the start. And so we're already starting to say that we will see an individual by the time they're 18 um, have a have some kind of neuroinflammatory issue and disease by the time they're 18. And, you know, that's an essential biomarker of being able to create the right amino acids. And so, um, you know, I just wanted to kind of connect the lifestyle piece mm -hmm. to the internal breakdown of how this all works within the brain. And you do such a great job of explaining it. So thank you so much. And so kind of to wrap that in, then, you know, going back to some of the nutritional, we've talked about phytoestrogens, we've talked about omega acids, and you and I talked about the endocannabinoid system, fatty acids, if people want to reference back to that, also could help in this situation. Um, you know, uh, there's been a lot of research around nutrient deficiencies leading with zinc, vitamin D, um, central fatty acids, B vitamins. So obviously methylation, we often find that methylation with individuals with ADHD really need the activated forms with the MTHFR mm -hmm. situation. Um, so if, if you want to say anything about, um, supplementation around methylation, is there anything there that you want to add? Oh, well, um, number one, bringing up the gut. I mean, of course, you know, that could be many hours of, of talk, but just to, um, just to just reiterate that there is this bi-directionality between the gut and the, and the brain. And if you don't have the right short chain fatty acids produced like butyrate, which binds to the vagus nerve, which then is a calming effect. So eating the right foods, both to supplement our estrogen, like by eating phytoestrogens and fiber foods that are going to sub, uh, serve as the substrate for fermentation by our trillions of gut microbes so that they can make these short chain fatty acids, which have multiple purposes, act as signaling agents, food for the lining, go to the brain, bind to the vagus nerve and so on is so critical. And then of course, I always say nutrients are like the essential ingredients to run the machinery of the cell. So if you look at the different energy pathways of the cell, for example, like the Krebs cycle, you know, you have to create energy. So I always talk about like ADHD is really the brain isn't adequately energized. You know, it doesn't make enough energy. We talk about, you know, even in Alzheimer's. Energy is imbalanced. That's right. It's imbalanced. And some people... It's imbalanced. And the thing about, um, about energy is that, you know, it has to be right. I mean, you don't, a seizure is definitely like an imbalance of, don't need your of energy in the brain. <laughs> and um, so you have to have the right nutrients to run the cell machinery properly. Now, there's been so much on MTHFR that everyone should know about it. Everyone should get tested for it. Now we all have lots of different genes in our body and they all haven't been analyzed as well as this one has. And we know that it's not just the only thing that is important, but it is important. And this is so easily tested. And we know that if you have certain variants, I don't usually call them mutations because it sounds like you just are a mutant, but it's really like variants and you have certain ones, you will have, for example, a 70% reduction in your capability of doing this critically important function called methylation, which is involved in DNA stability, 
detoxification pathways, and the production of critical neurotransmitters that make you properly functioning, you know, with dopamine, serotonin. So you definitely need to properly methylate. Now, fortunately, brilliant minds have figured this out, that if you have this, like, sort of, we'll say, deficit in your capability of producing methylation of, that means putting this little molecule with carbohydrate and hydrogen and oxygen, that this little molecule doesn't properly attach to folate, to create tetramethylfolate, to put four onto folate, which is a vitamin, a B vitamin, then you don't get this, I call it like playing hot potato. This methyl group has to be transferred down the line. It needs to go to B12 to create methylcobalamin. Then it needs to go to homocysteine to make methionine and it goes around and then you end up, you know, you make SAMI, you make the neurotransmitters, you go down the pathway to detoxify, but you have to be able to do that first step. Well, you can give people pre-methylated folate and B12. So you've done a tremendous service. And then you add in the foundation, which is the folate itself. So you give lots of green leafy vegetables. So you eat this great diet and you can compensate tremendously for the genetics that your parents gave you. And, and then your brain will work better. All these different functions will work better. So we know, for example, they give, um, folic acid to women who are pregnant so that they don't have certain types of birth defects. Well, I never give just folic acid because I'm going to give tetramethylfolate. I want the methylated version of folate because if you have the variants, you will not be able to properly take the folic acid, which is a synthetic man-made type version of folate. Yeah, that's what I think is so important about this aspect is that so many individuals with the best of intentions will go and search the internet. God save me. And please, people, do not go to Amazon to buy your supplements. But, um, you know, to really look for the right forms of supplementation, we spend so much money on trying to, to not necessarily create shortcuts, but do the right thing to try to supply what we have deficiencies in and, um, you know, B vitamins, even GABA, you know, the, the right form of GABA to help glutamate and the, uh, the brain to think more coherently and slow down. I mean, there's right forms of GABA as well. And one of my passions right now is to create a supplement stack that goes, you know, basically for general health, that's going to affect the brain, the gut microbiome, um, B vitamins, as well as a multi and all of that. So make sure that they're in their whole food form. They're in right bioavailable form. And so I just wanted to bring that up because there is a very differentiation in good supplements versus bad supplements. And, um, you know, you and I both know that, but, um, you know, another piece I will just bring up and then we'll probably close it up here in just a few, but, um, zinc, magnesium, um, essential minerals, making sure that we're detoxifying correctly. Um, that goes back to what we talked about with sleep and the brain, making sure that we have ample sleep because during sleep, we have a different biome than we do in the day. And we really need to detox the brain so that we can wake up, refresh, get the toxicity out and really clean out what to, to what you were saying. Um, as far as endorphins, natural endorphins, we also find that exercise helps tremendously with ADHD. Um, we also find that obviously we've talked about restoring the microbiome. Now, one piece that you've mentioned, and if you could just give me a short bit, is that you found that women, and part of my supplement stack is going to be actually a plant protein that also has prebiotics, mm -hmm. postbiotics, um, central activated minerals. But um, you noted that women do better on a plant protein than they do on meat. Now I'm a meat eater. I'm going to continue to meet, eat meat, eat meat, but could you say a little bit more about how plant protein is um, more beneficial to women? Right now I'm, I'm not proposing that everyone become vegans. I'm not a vegan right. either, but, right. but, you know, for sustainability of the planet and yourself, you really can limit it down to around three ounces a day. And we do need some saturated fat. You know, we just like everything It's all about the balance and saturated fat is essential for brain function as well. So, but it's just a question of too much actually will give you circadian rhythm dysfunction and, and leaky gut. So we definitely don't want to go there, but um, we, definitely do need to have a balance of all the, the different types of nutrients. And I'm sorry, what was the, 
what was the? Uh, no, I think that's great. I, I think also a plant protein. I mean, you know. Oh yeah, thank you. Let me go back. <laughs> so the plant protein. So with um, meat, there are difficulties right now because people in general have a dysbiotic gut microbiome. And if you don't have the right microbes, we now know that you take plant, um, rather animal proteins, and you can make carcinogens, you can make um, nitrosoamines, you can also make toxins that they're called TMAO. So you need to have a healthy microbiome to properly process animals. And also, as we get older, it's harder to break it down to some degree, you know, in terms of digestive enzymes. And plant-based proteins come packaged with a ton of fiber. That may be also why they're so beneficial. And they generally are eaten in a conjunction with other plants. And then you have a more alkaline diet, which helps to get the calcium properly regulated. So you don't end up with uh, kidney stones and you actually don't develop osteoporosis that you can get the calcium. And calcium is critical for brain health, neurological health, muscle health, and you get better balance with your calcium. And the um, we now know that this idea that you need to have these essential and non-essential amino acids that when you eat a variety of plant-based proteins, you are going to get all of the essential amino acids that you need. But it's really important to know that you're not ever going to get enough B12 and you're not going to get enough iron in your body, especially if you're a menstruating woman, if you are a vegan. And usually zinc is kind of deficient as well. So, you know, um, that's one of the reasons why I I don't think, I, I admit we are omnivores. We are not, you know, supposed to be vegans, but we can get tremendous benefit to our musculoskeletal system and our overall body by eating a lot of plant-based proteins, which of course includes the whole organic soy and the whole legume variety. Um, And you'll find if you eat a lot of uh, lentils and all kinds of beans and nuts and seeds and whole grains that you're going to have totally different looking poops. They're going to be really um, like big and formed and like these like long, like the talk, like the long sausage without the little bits and things. And that's a real sign that your microbiome is recovering and that your gut is getting healthier. And remember, it's one body, it's all one. So when your gut is healthier, your brain is healthier, your musculoskeletal system is healthier. So you'll know just by following the changes in how your bowel movements are, that your gut is actually healing, that things are getting better. And so eat, I recommend no more than three ounces of the healthiest sourced animal that you can get a day. That's awesome. Love it so much. Thank you so much for that, sweetheart. I really, I I love that. And it lets me know that I'm on a good path on creating a really, really sufficient, clean plant protein. So it's wonderful. Um, You know, I think this has been like a fire hose for for many, but I could just sit and talk with you for for absolute hours. Um, You know, I just have such a passion for, you know, kind of really disseminating and peeling apart ADHD and specifically for women. I mean, we, we suffer as we've already talked about more than men, four times individuals with ADHD because of the intensity of our life um, is known based on Dr. Barkley's research that we have a reduction of 12 years taken off our lifespan. Um, And, you know, we could attach all these comorbidities and talk doom and gloom, but, you know, I'm here to say, and to hold hands with you on, there's so much richness now that we know how we can really start to tap into the microbiome, brain health, sleep regulation, exercise. There's so much available. I mean, gosh, tech, you know, rings telling me how much sleep I'm getting at night. There's so much to psychobiotics. We didn't even get into that, but, you know, in the future that we'll be able to create sufficient, you know, microbiome so that we can start addressing anxiety and depression and ADHD with the right microbiome um, through fecal um, uh, transplants. And so there's just so much ahead of us that I have so much help for the mental health industry, but I also know that we're at a 
critical, critical mass that we really need to start bringing in more holistic realms around lab testing, working with professionals, having the lifestyle support, getting, you know, uh, support with past trauma, which keeps us back in our ruminating part of the brain and that amygdala where we're always you know, with ADHD, we're already hypervigilant, right? We see things that other people don't see. We're kind of always on the cusp. We're always looking for the next thing. So that that regulation and emotional regulation is really critical. So, you know, just so much um, positive movement going forward. And, you know, again, I'm holding hands with you to really continue to dig in on the science. And um, I found it fascinating on just, how different the female and male brain is and, um, and how the deficiency of estrogen, really going back to the start of our conversation here today, the more that we can tap into and do lab testing and regulating our estrogen and, and really, you know, I always tell women in their middle age, get your labs done, know where your healthy labs are with your hormones so that you can really start to tap into that and biohack as you get older. But I know for me, entering midlife, getting on estrogen, getting on progesterone, it saved my life. I, it was night and day for me. Once I started progesterone, I was sleeping. Estrogen is helping my bone health based on ovarian function um, that I've had issues with for years. And so, like I said, you know, I understand all the nutritional hacks and the things that I've been able to modulate, but most people haven't had access to that. And so to me, I'm hopeful that this podcast and also, I wanted to bring up your new book, um, which is all women need to know a little bit more about their hormones. Um, so your new book is called Menopause, 50 Things You Need to Know and What to Expect During the Three Stages of Menopause. As we end today's podcast, could you give us a little bit of a teaser on what your new book is about? Sure. Well, because most most doctors and, and women really don't understand the full global significance to the body um, when women are transitioning through the from the reproductive years into the menopausal stage of life. Um, this book goes through the three stages, which is the perimenopausal years, the first decade of menopause, and then from 10 years on out. And so there are different, there's so many things that happen in the female body. We just touched on just the, the, the surface today of all the things that happen throughout the female body. So once again, it comes back to, you can never solve a problem if you don't recognize, define it, and then understand it. So the first step for women really through their, what we should call midlife for women, right? So really 40 and above. Is, and for some women, it starts even earlier. We know it could be 35 and above that they need to understand what's happening in their bodies because they're not being told. And some of them think like, what is going on? And they go from to different specialists because they have different symptoms. They're not really getting the grand picture that they're transitioning through this really momentous time in their lives the menopausal transition, which really needs to be redefined as ovarian aging or ovarian senescence and what it really means to the female body. And I also want to applaud you for you know, mentioning that you take hormones because there, there are all these wonderful things that we must do with lifestyle, absolutely. But I always say, if you're deficient in a hormone, you need to replenish the hormone. And now we can't give you back a set of 25-year-old ovaries, not feasible at this point. So we have to realize that when we give hormones, we're not doing that. So we're doing the best we can. So even at every stage of life, we need to incorporate every healthy lifestyle trick we can come up with. And as we transition into menopause, even more so. So it's a book I hope everyone will put in their little purses and carry wherever they go and, and like you know, reference it like sort of like a, you know, like a little reference book that you can look up where you are and what symptoms you have and if it fits into, oh yeah, that's because I'm going into menopause or I'm already in menopause. Yeah, I'm such an advocate for, I mean, it's it's amazing to me how long it took for women to actually be concerned, informed, and educated about our hormones and how much and how critical it really is. And you've, you've really led the industry, Dr. Gersh, on so many levels of cutting edge information, really, um, you know, educating other health professionals. I'm just so thankful for you and your contribution to the industry and to me and 
and everybody here now on the Awaken Body or Making Beauty podcast. So I'm so thankful for you, and I'm sure we'll be connecting soon. I definitely am going to have you on a upcoming summit this this fall and winter, and and go even deeper and maybe talk a little bit more about your book. But I'm so thankful for you, and you know, to end the Awaken Beauty podcast, um, you know, I always ask everybody, you know, what on a personal level have you awoken to lately? Doesn't have to be. ADHD related or mental health? Well, for me, it was my husband who is incredibly fit. In fact, he's a fitness specialist, but um, he developed, he's had, you know, been in sports and he developed a herniated disc and it was, you know, excruciatingly painful. So, um, and helping him through that, and he's doing enormously better now, and he's just about back to normal. And what it really made me focus on is, being there for the people in your life that you love, you know, that, you know, no matter how important your career is, you know, we have to always be mindful of the needs of our, you know, our peers that we work with, um, our friends that we connect with and our family members who we love so much that we need to be part of our social community to be there to support and help the people, whether it's a husband, a friend, a coworker, that, you know, really being there for the people in our lives is so critically important. Yeah, and, and that's really been my, it's like, we just have to be there. We have to be in the moment for the people we care about all the time. I so appreciate you sharing that. You know, you shared that. Uh, it was it was cute. So I'll just tell the story. You know, I just gave her a quick debrief on an invite, and she said yes, great. And then she wrote back and said, okay, this is what's been going on, and just what you went through the end of the summer, and being there for your husband, and um, you know. Presence is so important. And, you know, I think it's a really great way to end today's conversation is that connectivity and the community and loved ones is so important right now. And if we really get down to it, you, you can even link it back to Gabor Mate's work on um, trauma and just connection and that regulation with each other and the mirror neurons and how healing that is for us to be present with each other, healthy, not healthy, what have you, but just such a critical point. So it's such a beautiful way to end today's conversation. So thank you for that. And, uh, you know, look at her, my friends. I mean, she doesn't age, so she's doing something right. <laughs> um, so with that said, Dr. Gersh, thanks so much for being on the Awaken Beauty podcast. And everybody, until next time, as always, stay sane, get sleep, and always bring your sexy back. Thanks so much, my dear. Well, hello, Awaken Beauty. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Were you inspired? Please leave a comment or your own personal aha moment so others can capture exactly what you did. Also, please like and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you're interested in high quality natural products for your hair, skin, and wellness, including organic, CBD, please visit evokebeauty.com. Again, that is evokebeauty.com, E-V-O-Q-Beauty.com. And until next time, darling, stay sane, get sleep, and bring your sexy back.